yeah and uh so yeah, the audio type. is kind of breaking i'm not sure if uh, oh. it's on my or okay okay can we maybe just can i rejoin can you hear me now yeah but it's uh the voice is breaking so <laughs> man we can switch to zoom and try there okay you can hear me it's breaking again so <laughs> I cannot hear anything. Unfortunately, in this episode we were suffering from serious technical issues. I tried to improve it with editing, but sometimes you will hear some things that don't really add up or match. But hopefully I think it will not repel you from listening to this episode where we were talking with Olympia about Enneagram, psychology, voice typing and other awesome things. So let's start the episode. Welcome to the next episode. Uh, we are here with Olympia, and I guess uh, the best way to introduce her would be ask her how would she introduce herself. So, Olympia, who are you? Oh man, okay. So, yeah, you might like anyone who's watching. You might know me from my Type Evolution channel. If not, uh, I'm Olympia. I make videos and articles about personality types especially the Jungian personality types, the 16 personality types, and also Enneagram. And I focus on the Enneagram instincts. And with the Jungian types, I focus mostly on the functions as well. Uh, yeah, I think that's all you have to know about me as, um, as a type uh, channel and type person <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so great, you are an expert on this kind of topic. and. I've been looking through your YouTube channel and the top videos that I found were about the voice typing. And I think that this is something unique that I haven't seen anywhere else. So would you like to say more about what is it, the voice typing and how it functions? Yeah, so actually I, I got the idea to make those videos from Socionics. Um, not many people might know about it. Socionics is another system that deals with the Jungian personality types and there is a theory called communication styles and I found that theory interesting and it basically went into those styles that I talk about in my videos so like sincere, business, cold-blooded and passionate and I, I realized yeah no one really talks about this much so it's like really valuable and I also realized that a lot of my like clients or viewers, they are really auditory. Like they, they are really good at just auditory intelligence, so to speak. And I figured, okay, why not combine this? I just told, show them like almost like proof that they are different personalities. So there's even people out there who don't believe they're different personality types. Like they're, <laughs> it's bizarre, but there's people who think, okay, yeah, people are just kind of mostly the same, very little variations. So yeah, it was like a way for, as I said, my viewership to understand, okay, what are the styles and how can you spot them? And also to kind of prove to people it, it's actually a real thing. Like you can actually see, and well, especially here in this case, how people's personalities are different. And there's like these, based on those communication styles, those four main groups. So what would be the four main groups? It is the cold-blooded, passionate, sincere, and business. So. What are the differences between these? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, also I have to make a side note. Um, this theory is based on 
like Russian writings. So the translations might be a bit, yeah, you cannot take it too literally. Like for example, the sincere types, just because they may sound sincere or it's in the title, it doesn't mean that they're always going to be sincere. So with sincere, those are like the IF types. So INFJ, INFP, ISFP, ISFJ. And they will have this quality where the, the voice is melodious. It's not as loud. And you can tell that they kind of seem to speak from the heart or at least it sounds like there's some feeling in it. Um, with the cold-blooded one, that also has an introverted quality so it's not that loud and usually the person sounds rational like logical like they sound like they know what's up and they are very straight to the point and they tend to not go on big tangents or anything like that um so cold-blooded because yeah they there's no fuss so that's their style and with the business communication style, it is a bit similar. Like they also, they get down to business, so to speak. Like you can you can also hear it in their voice. They're very, so they are going to be louder. They're going to speak faster oftentimes as extroverts. And there's going to be this no-nonsense quality to it. Like, okay, we get to work. That kind of attitude in, in how they speak and what you hear. And, and that's going to be the ET types. The previous one were, were IT types. And then, last but not least, are the passionate ones. And they are probably one of the easiest to spot, I would say, as long as um, the person is genuine and they are, you know, just being themselves. Then the EF personalities are usually, yeah, talk loudly, fast, and they're, like, passionate and, like, very emotional in the way how they talk. Um, so... That's going to be like ENFJ, ESFJ, ENFP, ESFP. Um, and I also mentioned in the videos that uh, even though there's going to be those four groups, people sometimes can sound a little bit like one of the other ones as well. And it depends on how introverted or extroverted the person is. And also, I have to say, some people will kind of try to sound like a different style it can be because maybe they're in a business environment and people usually try to speak more like a t-type in those environments so they're going to sound more logical business-like um, yeah cold-blooded so to speak or i also noticed when people try to kind of maybe even flirt or <laughs> just attract someone they often go more into the f kind of speaking style um yeah so that's like the rough overview. You were also talking that there are some kind of better compa compatibilities between these kind of styles, that it's better if there are certain kind of types talking together compared to different ones. So what would be the ones that are more compatible than the others? Yeah, the most compatible styles are the complements. So extrovert with introvert and feeler with thinker. So in this case, that would be the business style with the sincere style and the passionate with the cold-blooded style yeah they just complement each other um what can happen in some of my videos i make I give like funny examples especially with the extroverts it's very obvious when you have two extroverts in a conversation they usually fight for the upper hand like they often talk over each other too much or they feel like the other person talks too much 
um, that's, that can happen with the extroverts. So that, that would be passionate, passionate and passionate business or business and business. Um, and with the introverts, it depends. Like it's not necessarily bad, um, but um, it can it can sometimes either get a bit boring or uh, what I noticed, um, especially with some of my clients who are introverts, they say, oh, I notice when I'm with an introvert, I feel like I have to kind of steer the conversation or I, I have to do something because they don't naturally do it. Uh, so yeah, so that, that can happen that it's, yeah, a bit more down, down low, or, I don't know how to say, like low key, um, but yeah. So you as an INFJ would have the sincere communication style and me as an INTJ would have the cold-blooded. So I guess that we would not be the most compatible uh, because we are both kind of introverted and therefore it would maybe be better for the conversation to have some kind of extrovert to bring more energy into the conversation, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the idea. I have to say though that um, with the... With the sincere and cold-blooded, it's it can still be interesting enough. Um, it's still better than the same styles with each other. Um, so because at least you have like the feeling-thinking connection, so that still can still be more interesting. But having said all that, I think I also make it clear at the end of the video. Um, communication style is not the main marker of compatibility. Like it's not really that important. So people with the same personality type, especially with the sincere ones, they can be quite compatible with each other and they can still have nice conversations. It's just gonna like lack that, um, yeah, like you said, energy or dynamic thing in, in the conversation. But yeah, it's not, not, not that important. So we have uh, many different kinds of concepts. We have the MBTI types, we have the Enneagram, we have the Enneagram instincts, and then we have the communication style. So which of these would be the most important in terms of compatibility? Yeah. So for me, it's kind of like a, a fight between uh, the Jungian types and the Enneagram instincts. I would say they rank both the highest. Uh, well, but... I would still put Jungian types a little bit higher than followed by instincts and then the communication styles. I've seen that many creators are focusing a lot on the Jungian MBTI types, uh, but with you, I noticed that you really go in depth in the Enneagram instincts and that you have a theory uh, which would be the bucket. So can you tell us more about your bucket theory for the Enneagram instincts, which would be about the social self-preservation and sexual instincts? Yeah, um, I guess I can also say the reason why I go a lot into the instincts is because I, I don't see enough people doing it and I found it to be very useful with personal development and also compatibility. And yeah, with the bucket analogy, it's yeah. So basically everyone has like a stacking. So everyone has a certain order um, when it comes to the instincts. And many people mistakenly believe that the first instinct means it's your best instinct. The order actually doesn't really necessarily mean what is your best or worst instinct, but 
there, there is a little bit of a correlation there and it's mostly what you care about the most. So naturally people will, I mean, the, the average person will spend most of their time developing the first instinct because they care the most about it. But some people have it twisted. <laughs> and I have to say, I, have, I had it twisted in the past. So this is also why I personally used the bucket analogy with myself and also with my clients in a way. So the first, so the first instinct is like the bucket that you put anything you put in it is it's like, it's like liquid gold. Like you, you are obsessed with it. It's, it's like the most heavenly elixir on earth. Like you cannot get enough of it, but that's also the problem. Um, it's yeah, you're too reliant on it, too obsessive with it. So it can actually be like to your detriment. And the, the second bucket, so to speak, your second instinct is the one that is just right, where there's no obsessiveness, but let me first go to the last one. So with the last uh, instinct, the last bucket, I say it has like a hole at the bottom. So no matter how much you pour into it, you will never really fill it up completely and you will never feel truly satisfied. So that's the thing like with satisfaction. So with the first one, it's so delicious. It's so awesome. But the problem is you also, if you cannot get enough of something, you, you're not balanced really, right? And with the last one, there's also no balance. It just goes right through. And the second instinct tends to be on average with most people, the most balanced because it doesn't turn the liquid into any anything delicious and it doesn't have a hole at the bottom so it's basically just water you like yeah that's what i say like it's just water like it's exactly right um now this is assuming that like i said the person is not too unhealthy if someone is so super mentally unhealthy then everything is going to be bad like every instinct is going to be bad and you're not going to be happy in any of the instincts but just on average, this is how it works. And I also say this, this is how you should see um, what you put your energy and time into. So many people, when they try to develop themselves, they focus too much on the last bucket, on the last instinct. And like I said, it, it will never make you feel that satisfied, even if you reach a good level at it. And with the first instinct, it's also way too lopsided. It's too obsessive um, but still you should still put some effort into it because it is going to make you happier and with the second one as well and i say that the second one is the most balanced because many people underestimate their second instinct they think oh doesn't it's not really that important i guess it's fine um, but a lot of people actually um, find their hidden strength in that instinct it, it depends. I mean, many people usually have their strength in either the first or second instinct. It's, it's rare that it's the last one. Even that can happen in some rare cases. But even the, the, the irony is, even if someone is naturally gifted at their last instinct, uh, they will not really value it that much. So I see that a lot of times with certain extroverted people who are extroverts, like in, Jungian, in the Jungian sense, um, you know, like they're obviously like very, like very loud, very energetic in your face. Like they're obviously extroverted, but they don't truly feel that much satisfaction from social interactions or social belonging. They actually feel more satisfied with their, like having a partner, for example, or focusing on the relationship. So in that case, even that case, it's like, that's like one of those tricky things. And also another example. I would say in my case, like I'm an introvert, but I also have the social instinct first. 
so that's also another thing that can be a bit tricky um so yeah <laughs> that's mostly it okay so for me when i'm the sx sp and so so that will be sexual self-preservation and social then i guess your recommendation for you would be for me to focus on the self-preservation and not so much on the social in terms of growth right mm -hmm. yeah this this advice is especially for people who are at the very beginning um who, who ha haven't done much um, self-development who may even be rather unhealthy at the moment and the second instinct is the one that gets like very unhealthy at the last so that's like so that's why i say the bucket is like just right so even if someone is quite unhealthy the second instinct is the last one that's going to be too unhealthy so it's the easiest to get into and to develop the first one it's it's um, there's too much attachment to it and the last one is yeah obviously it just won't satisfy you so yeah if you are like at the beginning then i would say yes focus on the self-preservation if you feel like your self-preservation is already doing pretty well then you can also go to the first instinct um so yeah so i would say you start with the second one then you go to the first and then you go to the last one and um i mean i think in that video maybe i made it sound like oh you should never focus on your last instinct but i would actually say it is good to also include the last one just so you have like we need all the instincts to be good like we 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 just want everything <laughs> i mean we want everything to be good right um so but if you have more or less mastered the first and second instinct or you're working on those then you can go to the last one i would say so then you can you, then you have it all so just a brief uh, recap or summary about what is the sexual self-preservation social like for those that may not be familiar with it Okay, um, you mean do you mean like the ins the individual instincts? Yeah, the individual the instincts. Like, what is the specific or what is the thing that makes uh, that particular one uh, unique or different from the other ones? <laughs> Hello, <laughs> is it frozen? So, when it comes to the enneagram instincts, there are three social self-preservative and uh, sexual so what are the differences between these or what is each about yeah so the social instinct is yeah about socializing it's being about like it's about being part of the social group social belonging friendships uh, platonic relationships um, platonic bonding that's really mostly it uh also can also be social status social acclaim fame popularity but that can also overlap a little bit with certain enneagram types but it's still mostly a social thing um and also the social instinct is often mistaken for extroversion it's possible for an introvert to have a social instinct so they will feel more fulfilled if they are like let's say part of the social group if they have uh, so like friends uh if they have social acclaim or status uh but they can because they're introverts they will get drained eventually like they will still feel like having low energy at times um the sexual instinct is also about bonding and i i know there's some people who say it's not 
I would say it is. Uh, so the sexual instinct, it, like one aspect of it is, yes, like the attraction, the passion. Um, so attraction, attractiveness as well. Like how do you look or how do you come across, um, which just can also be related to the social instinct. So with the social instinct, attractiveness is more in the sense of social attractiveness. Uh, so some people who are social first want to be considered attractive, but mostly for social reasons, whereas the sexual instinct wants to be attractive, literally mostly just to attain a partner or attain partners, whatever their preference is. Um, yeah, so it's that, that attraction part of it. It can also be being creative, like a lot of creativity actually comes from the sexual instinct, like creating something, uh, the sexual instinct can i mean yeah literally be procreation as well um but once again there also has to be a distinction between that and just uh like fulfilling physical desires or something like that it's not always a sexual instinct um but yeah it's like creating something and it can be bonding with a within a rela romantic relationship um sexual instinct people usually feel more happy and fulfilled if they have a like a good romantic relationship or a partner and if they create something in a way like they are creative or bring something new into the world it can be a child it can be a project it can also even be a hobby uh, with the self-preservation instinct it it is about preservation it is about resources money food clothing housing finances uh yeah all of those things um it can also be things like gardening you know um to some extent also health can go into it uh but i i would also add that i, I think i mentioned in an old video that self-preservation is not just about yourself so if someone is um okay i would i was about to say if someone is more mature but some people I know that mature, mature and still do it, but it's overall like maturity is one aspect where you don't just preserve yourself, but you start preserving other areas of life as well. Like um, it could be the environment, for example, like uh, environmentalism is very much self-preservation, like preserving the nature, for example, it can be, it can be yeah, basically just cooking for someone is also self-preservation or preserving. I mean, it's, you cook for someone and that's, related to the self-preservation instinct so it's not just about you but also other people and i think in that video i also try to tie it to the animal kingdom because that makes it more universal and also easier to understand so uh, you see the self-preservation in action also when for example a mother uh, nurtures her child and gives gives the child food for example like that's still preservation but it's not just about you it's also about someone else um yeah so every instinct can be selfish in a way so even the social instinct can be selfish like let's say someone just wants to be famous because for their ego or something that's that's still a selfish thing even though the person is social and the sexual instinct person can be selfish for example they just yeah want to want to attract as many people as possible they don't really care what the other person is feeling they just want to be hot or whatever so that can also still be very selfish but once once the person is over that or has not so much of an ego about it then they tend to extend 
that instinct to others, like to the world at large. So uh, like so social, for example, you, you start maybe helping out your friends or you start helping people when it comes to socializing uh, or you help with social causes or with the sexual instinct, you might help other people with relationships or you might um, improve your own relationship and uh, self-preservation. Yeah, like I said, environmentalism, things like that. Nice. So you are also talking about uh, the light side, light side and dark side, that each of these can be uh, also like having negative consequences or impact or, or others, but also a positive one. And so that could be something connected to being healthy and unhealthy. So what is your basically perspective on this kind of light side or dark side? Yeah, I've been, I think since like a year or so, uh, or even maybe a little longer, I've been like obsessed with the light and dark side stuff. <laughs> I just, I just put it into everything. Um, and it is essentially just unhealthy, healthy, but I say light side, dark side, because uh, there's many people who think the dark side is only like quote unquote weak. Um, but the dark side is actually pretty strong. Um, so I think I also mentioned that in some video, like if it was weak, it wouldn't be a threat. It's, it's a threat because it's strong. And light side and dark side are both strong in their own ways. So of course the dark side is not great, but many people, if they are like in a state of feeling kind of weak or think they are weak, they often go to the dark side because it's easier and they try to get their power there. Um, and the dark side is, like I said, essentially people being unhealthy and it's a way to, yeah, they usually create destruction. So that's one easy way to tell um, if you're on the dark side or not, it, are you destructive? And it can be self-destructive as well. I think with my instinctual uh, dark side videos, I mostly go into how it's destructive towards other people, I would say, but it can also be destructive to yourself. Um, so, that's usually a good sign that you're on the dark side. You are just destroying things, <laughs> like not in a good way. Like sometimes destruction is like something, sometimes you have to create something new. But yeah, the dark side is basically just attacking either yourself or other people in some way and just creating chaos. Um, and the light side usually is doing the opposite. It's, it's usually helping yourself, helping other people. It's yeah, making life better. So yeah, and the same, and you can apply that to the instincts. You can apply that to MBTI types, Jungian types. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty universal. I think you can apply it to almost anything. Uh, regarding the MBTI, you were talking or looking at it from the type roles uh, that uh, you see each personality type having some kind of specific role that is connected to the purpose that they should basically uh, fulfill. So mm -hmm. how, how do you kind of define this kind of purpose for the types? Overall, yeah, like, so I call it purpose roles um, because I noticed, I was just thinking about, yeah, what is even the purpose of having different personality types? Like, why don't we all just have one personality or two personalities? And I came, yeah, I came to the conclusion that there, yeah, the purpose is that we all need those different purposes, personalities uh, in our world. So that also takes away from that argument that, oh, certain personalities are better than others. No, like every personality is needed in our world. Uh, and 
every personality has a purpose. So that's what I, how I arrived at the purpose roles. And then it was just a matter of um, looking at people who are, or like examples of people who are like quote, quote unquote in their prime or like seem to embody the best that the personality can be. And that's usually the light side. Um, though I have to say people can also be on the dark side and be in their so-called purpose role. Like it's, that's also possible. Um, but it's the purpose role is basically when the person is using their, yeah, their strengths and their preferences. Um, that's basically it. And I, like I said, I was just looking at people and I was looking for trends and patterns, um, and yeah, I, you could say maybe archetypes um, for each type. Uh, so yeah, that's how I arrived at it. And also actually funny enough, uh, maybe tie it back to what we said earlier about communication styles or voice typing. I realized that um, with some titles that I found that the, the personality types kept saying those things. Um, like so I noticed some personalities uh, Ha, like tend to mention certain words um, more often. So for example, for INFJ, I, I coined it the psycho-spiritualist. Uh, like, also some of my titles had some evolutions, you could say like first, I think it was psychoanalyst, but I was not too happy with that because that almost sounds too logical. Um, but then I, I just observed an II or INFJ um, and they said they could talk about psycho spiritual psycho spirituality and i was like oh yeah that that's actually a perfect term for this um, purpose so i just i just used that um so i i either you like just found a purpose or title based on what the person said or what they are or or sometimes i mean of course i would also look at okay what has socionics said about the types and do i see do i see in purpose in what they describe um, so I think, for example, with the ESFJ, I call ESFJ the host. And I think I also saw somewhere a long time ago that in socionics, they also call ESFJ the host, like as a, just as a term for the type. Uh, so I was, and I was like, oh yeah, I actually see that that's actually their purpose. So actually the title, it actually describes not just what they tend to be like, but what also their purpose is. Uh, on that note, I also have to say, um, some people think if they just see the title, um, oh, that means the person will act like this, um, or there will be their purpose. By the way, there's some noise, sorry. <laughs> um, um, but people, people don't always, like in real life, people don't always follow the, the purpose of their personality. Like they, especially when they're younger or when they're trying to find a career, or even if they have a career already, Many people go with, oh, what currently tends to make money for them or what do their parents want or, you know, and then they often don't really go for their type's purpose. Um, so yeah, at this point, it's not really possible, I would say, to type people just based on the purpose rules. But still, uh, what I see is, yeah, the people who are at their, in their prime, like if you type people who are like really showing the best of their of their personality you might be able to trace it back and say okay this must be that kind of purpose role 
Uh, but yeah, it's I would I would still say don't focus just on the title and the purpose because some people try to be different things. Like um, yeah, that's just how it is. Um, it's yeah. So it's my my purpose roles are kind of a mix of both observation and advice in a way. Like I have observed it with with like great examples of certain types, but at the same time I also kind of say, oh, by the way, if you are this type, you should probably do this like that kind of thing one thing you mentioned was that sometimes it's kind of difficult to type people and for them to find their type now one thing that i really liked about what you wrote was the correlation between enneagram and mbti type that some mbti types are much more likely to be certain kind of enneagram types so i guess this could be some kind of way to validate if you are that kind of type if you know both your MBTI and Enneagram, like if it matches with the correlation that, that you have observed. So what would be the kind of correlation that you have found, found out about the Enneagram and MBTI types? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's obvious that this is actually kind of a heated topic. Uh, it depends. Um, some people, there's, there's like two camps. So one camp says every personality type can be every Enneagram type. And then there's the other camp that says no, every Jungian type can only be one or two Enneagram types, like very strict. I, I kind of fall in the middle, though I have to say I kind of uh, lean more towards the stricter camp. Um, I Yeah, it's so... They say you can have, like, say, for example, you can be an extrovert and you can be a type five. And I would say, no, it's just not possible. Like, it, it contradicts each other. Like, the five is inherently introverted. It's very obvious in the Enneagram texts. And it has also been my observation that they are just introverts. But of course, there's going to be people who say, no, you can have a five-ish uh, motivation and can be an extrovert. Um, but with those examples, usually there's something else going on. Usually the person is maybe, let's say, very avoidant of people or has like an avoidant, uh, maybe even personality disorder or just avoidant attachment style. And then they think this makes them a type five and that's not really necessarily the case. So, um, so yeah, my the correlations have also changed a little bit over the time. But at the moment, I say when it comes to core types, type ones are ISTJ, INTJ, and MBTI terms. Um, type twos are ESFJ, ENFJ. Type threes are ENFP, ESFP, ENTJ, ESTJ. Type fours are INFP, ISFP, and perhaps INFJ. Actually, on that one, I'm starting to wonder a bit, but I would still say it is possible. Type five, uh, INTP, INTJ, type six. That has actually changed a lot for me with type six. Um, I, I used to say in the beginning that every type can be type six because I've seen so many people with six connection. But now looking back, I realized it was just that they had, yeah, I had like a connection, a fix or a wing or something. Like six is one of the most common types. Uh, and on, like oh, very many, many people have a connection to six, but that does not mean it's their core type. So I, I had to change this up. Um, so now I would say core type, the vast majority of six is ISTP and um, the rest are other SP types. So ESTP, ESFP, ISFP even. Uh, with seven, 
seven is EP, so ENTP, ENFP, ESFP, ESTP, eight, uh, ESTJ, ENTJ, and ESTP, and nine, ISFJ, ISFP, INFJ, INFP. So once again, I might have to think about like, I in the past also considered like INTP, or oh, actually also ICJ, I have to add ICJ. Uh, but yeah, this one, I'm also still thinking about it, especially with INTP. It seems possible, but I haven't really seen it. Um, and uh, with, um, what was the other one? Uh, yeah, ISTJ as well, but I still think it's it seems still possible. So I would still say ICJ can be mine as well. Yeah, so like I said, this is, so this is my current overview. And I know for many people, this is too restrictive. Uh, it's just what I've, yeah, what I found to be true. It's just my, my take on it, um, based on the types and yeah, what I've read, what I've seen. So it seems like you are trying to connect many different kind of uh, theories, which is MBTI, socionics, Enneagram instincts. So these kind of theories have different kind of perspective on the compatibility. Like some say that these types are more uh, compatible than others. So what would be, since you're combining all of those, which would be like the best kind of compatibility or your compatibility theory from combining all of these together? Like which types uh, would be the most compatible? So most compatible when it comes to the Jungian types. So I go away from MBTI here because at this point, I find MBTI is too much influenced by like Big Five. I don't know if you're aware of Big Five, but it's too much influenced by that to the point where it's almost not really Jungian anymore, at least how I see it. So I know there are certain type recommendations with MBTI. I, I tried them in the past. I looked at them in the past with like the Jungian perspective, with the functional perspective, and it didn't really work. So, but it might work if you just look at it from the kind of big five perspective of saying like, oh yeah, N is like open-minded and S is traditional. Like if you go by that kind of thinking, then it might actually work for you. Like I've seen that it can work for people if they just do it on this superficial level. Like if it's just like, oh, N is open-minded and creative, S is traditional, not creative. Uh, T is like unemotional, F is emotional and uh e is sociable and i and i is kind of withdrawn like if you go by these very superficial qualities then it might even work but in my case i don't do that so i go more by the socionics recommendation in that case they say having the same quote-unquote valued cognitive functions is the most compatible so that would mean if you still go with the functions that um basically all types in, in like quote-unquote MBTI terms that have the same four functions just in different order or the same order would be the most compatible so like types that have FE, NI, TI, SE they would be the most compatible with each other so that's so, like the overall idea so this would be the duality in the socionics so you would consider the dual kind of uh, compatibility to be the best uh, I mean, based on the theory, it should be the best, but I, that's also why I kind of mentioned the real life implications. And also actually when you combine it with an Enneagram, so I, maybe I just go into Enneagram now. So the, the problem that can happen with duality, even on a theoretical or like just personality type basis is that duals can have opposite Enneagram 
So they can, like opposite meaning, they can have opposite instincts and it's about trifix theory stuff. Do you know about that? <laughs> uh, tri-type you mean, or? Yeah. Have you heard of it? Um, yeah. Just very, just very shortly. It's uh, so that the idea is that um, you can you have like three main enneagram connections, and one from each center. So one from the gut, one from the mind, and one from the heart center. So based on my approach, I, I will just say try fix because try type is technically trademarked, and uh, I mean if if you want to say anything about try type, you have to kind of consulted uh, with Catherine Favre. So this is like, that's why I use Trifix tri because this is my own idea. Um, so my idea is that you need to have at least one fix in common with someone. So this creates, this is also a theory that they mention in psychology about similarity. Um, that similarity can be attractive and it's basically yeah, having a fix in common or two or three fixes. Um, so let's say like five, uh, four and nine and then the other person is like I don't know three three six nine you know and then they both have nine in common um, so that would be compatible in the Enneagram type in the Enneagram type way however like I said with duality there's there's many duals that have no fixed common so that's why I cannot say duality is always the most compatible uh, then also when you add the instincts then that can also be a problem. So I mentioned that. Um, so the opposite instincts are those where you you only have the second instinct the same and the rest is reversed. So like, let's say SXSP, then the opposite would be SOSP. So the problem is you how you care about the sexual and social. So this is like the most opposite and um, the, yeah, it's just a problem. <laughs> Um, and there's also dual to have that, uh, who have that opposite and then it's just not great. So yeah, if you add that, so you add this and then you add Enneagram and then, yeah, then dual is not always the best. Um, so yeah, that's one, that's just the personality type stuff. Um, and then if you take into account also real life dynamics, so Real life dynamics are things like, um, yeah, what you are uniquely attracted to, which can be based on your past and things like that. I, I talk a lot about this with my clients. We often go into, yeah, what is it that you are attracted to? What is the thing that you tend to seek out? And how does it overlap with actual compatibility? Because people can have the issue that they are very attracted to something that they're not compatible with. <laughs> so then we tend to try to find like a middle ground. Um, so that can happen. This is especially the case when you have people who, let's say, are very "quote unquote" heteronormative, like 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 women who are very feminine and they want a masculine, like stereotypically masculine guy. And then, even if their dual is a certain type, let's say the dual is INFJ, an INFJ man is not going to be the most stereotypically masculine dude. So they're probably not going to want that kind of guy like so you have to take into account all these things yeah i mean okay there's a lot of information now but uh yeah basically then at the end of the day you kind of have to see what is the most compatible combination in terms of what you're attracted to and all that so you kind of have to 
combine everything <laughs> and then you will get like, a couple of types that are the most compatible with you but yeah it's, it can be quite complicated <laughs> yeah it seems like there's a lot of it and different kind of things are exceptions to different things so it may be very difficult to just learn the theory and figure out it yourself and this is why for example you're doing these kind of coaching services where you already know all the stuff and you can manage these kind of ex uh, ex exceptions to figure out the perfect kind of match for for people and that, that is why i guess it may be very helpful to basically instead of trying to learn all of these kind of things to just uh, sign up for your coaching right that you're doing uh yeah so, <laughs> Then you don't have to figure it all out like this. So, for example, if uh, I would sign up for a coaching, I would tell you that I'm INTJ uh, one wing uh, nine, uh, sexual self-presentative social. Like, would you be able to basically figure out like what would be some kind of uh, compatibility types for me that would be the most suitable? Yeah. So, if we just go by that typing i can give recommendations that uh, was intj one sxsp so the, the wing doesn't matter that much here it's mostly the one okay so intj what's most compatible with intj would be other types that have fi se t and ni in any order so for intj there would be intj intj esfp isfp in like quote unquote MBTI terms, mm -hmm. um, but this is based on the functions. So just based on that, just based on your type profile and on when it comes to one, um, I would also have to know what the other fixes or the other connection points are. But if I don't, then I would just say anyone that has a one fix or connection, that's like the easiest. It's not necessary. Like if, if you have some other kind of connection, let's say maybe you both have a six connection, that would be fine as well. Um, so there I would need more information. Um, with the SXSP, I, this, I mentioned it in my video, this depends also on your preferences, your relationship goals, and your health level. Overall, um, based on the theory alone, the, the, the stackings that are most compatible with each other would technically be in the same flow. We haven't really talked about that much yet, but... Um, it's where the instincts go in the, like in the same flow direction. So SXSP, SP goes to SO, SO goes to SX and then back. Um, so basically those stacking. So SXSP, SP is O, SO is X. However, the caveat is um, SP is O that has no sexual instinct. So I would cut this out. Um, and I would add SP, SX because it has the same instincts, just different order. That's also fine. And then, yeah, it depends kind of on your preference, what you're looking for. So uh, I personally like SXSP with SOSX because then you have the same flow and you have all instincts in the couple. So that tends to make people more balanced, especially if, um, yeah, they're going to have a family or even not, if not, they're just going to have all instincts in the mix. So that usually tends to create more balance. But some people don't really care for that. So in that case, yeah, just go with someone else who is also social last. So SXSP or SPSX. Um, and then that was it, right? Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so that would be my main recommendations. And then it kind of depends on, yeah, what are your personal preferences? And you can kind of choose out of these options. Okay, so I guess uh, this will be much easier 
than trying to figure out everything by yourself. And you're doing your coaching services so from your website, right? You mm -hmm. also have yeah. a Facebook group and a YouTube channel. So you'll be able to see all of uh, the links uh, in below. And for the end, do you have something uh, that you would like to uh, say to the audience? Okay. Oh, by the way, I also have an Instagram, but it's still uh, pretty new. <laughs> um, what I want to say to the audience. So a lot of people, I even thought about making a video about this. A lot of people think uh, the, the main, main, main thing is uh, about uh, typing people correctly, retypings, mistypings, all that stuff. And yeah, that, that does matter on some level. But um, you won't really figure out your true type just by theorizing about forever. Um, so, of course, I would say, yeah, go to a quote-unquote expert or someone like you know who can type you. But if you don't want to do that, the next best thing to do is to really try to optimize your lifestyle based on the advice you get for your type. Yeah, follow advice and see if it works for them and based on that type themselves or follow the advice of someone. Um, like really try it out. And if the advice doesn't fit, maybe the advice is not the problem, but your typing is or vice versa. So you really, that's one way to really figure out what your type is besides, you know, getting opinion from an expert. So yeah, that's like one of the last things I want to say. Okay, so thank you very much and hopefully you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> So even though unfortunate technical issues have created many problems, I hope that you enjoy this episode and maybe see that even if uh, technology fails you, you can still basically scavenge something and make an episode out of it. So stay hopeful and don't be discouraged when you're facing with technical issues. Therefore, to learn more about Olympia, make sure to visit her website typevolution.com her YouTube channel, Typevolution, or her Facebook group and Instagram. Bye-bye.